You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. This is episode 179 of the Healthy Critters Radio on the Horse Radio Network. Healthy Critters Radio is brought to you by Biostar US. Find them online at biostarus.com. On today's show, we chat with Doreen Atkinson about working equitation. The critter of the show is the black copper Moran chicken. And in Critter Nutrition, we focus on what supplement labels don't tell us. Join us. Tigger. And I'm Patty. And I am Coach Jen. Thanks for joining us here on Healthy Critters Radio once again. At the opening of the show, each and every time we do it, we chat about something irrelevant for the most part. (laughs) (laughs) It's our warm-up. It's our it's our warm-up. That's right. It's our vocal, Mm -hmm. it's our vocal warm-up. And as we record this show this time, what inspired this chit-chat topic is the fact that I'm looking out the window. My office looks out the window, the front of our house, and there are uh, dark, menacing clouds building in the distance here in Ocala, Florida, which is a good thing because normally along about May, we get rain every three to five days for the rest, for the next six months. And it's not been raining yet. It's very dry here. So I thought I'd talk a little bit about water and horse people. We use a lot of it. Huh. Yes, we do. Right. Good so, segue. Got it. Yeah. There you go. So, Tigger, your life as a horse person is a little bit different than most in that you don't have a heap of horses, but you're a horse person and you have a heap of critters and what I would call a little farm. So, in your part of the universe, the way your farm works, what do you consider your biggest water? waster what's the thing in your life that you go gosh i didn't i wish that wouldn't take so much water the vegetable garden vegetable garden interesting now you have to yeah obviously you have to water the vegetable garden it's vegetables (laughs) what type of watering do you use do you just walk around with a hose do you have a sprinkler do you have what do you do no we have um we have three plots of vegetables so it's quite a big area and we have a different irrigation sprinkler system set up on each plot. And then we just rotate. Mm-hmm. So it's the kind of sprinkler that the water shoots up in the air and then rains down on your veggies? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, Patty, what is your yes. biggest water waster? What's the thing in your life that you go, oh, why do I have to use so much water to get this done? I... This is going to be boring. Exactly what Tigger, Tigger said. My garden and my garden. flowers on the back. I hate you both. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've got it. That's, well, you just skipped right over that. Uh, yes, we, yes, I do. Um, it's actually an incredible garden with handmade boxes that my husband made. But yeah, we have quite a lovely garden. But I would probably say that and having to water. Um, I have a really beautiful back porch. My backyard drops off from this deck and it sort of, so it sort of sits up so I can see sort of up high and it's just really pretty. So I always just like to get lots of different colored flowers and whatever. And it's also in Texas, 
like in Florida, it, you know, it can get quite hot. So um, you have to keep everything kind of watered because it dries out. So I would, I would say this, that same thing. So your exactly. garden is what you might call a container garden? In that they're um, like, a, like they're beds versus just a big section of ground that's been tilled? They're contained? Correct. In, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So how does how do you set up watering for that type of a garden? Because obviously if you use just a sprinkler, a certain percentage of the sprinkler isn't hitting the containers. It's hitting just whatever lawn or ground that's around it. How do you take care of that? Well, you don't know my husband. <laughs> oh, I don't. He's, I'm sorry. He has figured out thus far how to put this one sprinkler and it hits, it hits everything. Really, it, I don't, he did, I don't know if he did research or he just, I do have a lot of sprinklers or he just kept buying them until it worked. Not sure which I'm going to say research it, which is probably a lot. But um, so I'm going to say, cause it, it, believe it or not, it is not, um, we've had tons of rain here and it is still, um, I wore a jacket today. So it is still kind of, you know, cooler here. Anybody that knows me would also say, yes, you're also a sissy when it comes to cold, but it literally is still nicer as the <laughs> sideline. But as the weather goes on, um, I may have to supplement, you know, doing it, watering it. But for the, right now I've got to sprinkle and I travel a lot doing clinics and whatnot for at horse shows or whatever. So I can't, the people that stay here last year, I was just like, they're all going to quit. Not because I have too many animals, but because, because it's one of the gardens. Of gardens. <laughs> yeah. So well, I that's, think that, yeah. I there you go. That's real. Yeah. So we have, yeah. That's, some, yeah, that's, that's what we real. struggle with that too. Uh, when we go yeah. away, who's going to water the gardens? Yeah. So Tigger, yeah. do you take any extra measures with your garden to help the plants use the water that you do put on? Do you put a different type of mulch on or water a particular time of day or anything like that? Uh, we water either early in the morning or after the sun sets. We never water in the middle of the day. Because the water... Evaporation. Evaporation. Okay, that makes sense. And it's um, also harder on the plant. Is it? Okay. So yeah, brown yeah. thumb here, so this is all news, right? <laughs> yeah. All yeah. news. Well, I mean, because think about it, if you if you try to saturate the soil and the sun's out, um, it's only going to burn some of the plants as it yeah. comes as it off the, yeah that dries up. Yeah. Well, I'm going to step well outside your earth-friendly green thumb universe <laughs> with my biggest water waster. And it, it's true to this day. Right now, I only have two horses and those horses are even at a boarding stable and I, I still makes me crazy biggest water waster in my little universe is emptying and scrubbing out water buckets and water, water buckets and yeah water mm -hmm. troughs it continues to make me crazy what do you you know right so i always try to take the water and get it somewhere that looks thirsty like right now it's very dry so rather than just dumping out the trough and we have small enough troughs that you can dump them pretty easily with one person i will take it out a little at a time and with with a small pail and I'll chuck the water into some area of the pasture that's grassy. Cause you know how it is around water troughs. It's nothing but either dirt yeah. or sand, depending on where yeah. I don't need to add extra water to that. That's not going to help anybody. No. So I take it out and I chuck it over there where there's actual grass so the water has some use to its life, some use at all. Um when I, I had horses in stalls because the garden is next to the barn, I would take the water buckets and I, that we have a slope to the, to the plats. So if we get like a torrential rain, everything rolls downhill. Oh yes, you're Instead in Virginia of like where you play. Garden. That's important. Yeah. Yes, 
Yes. So I would do the trickle down. I take the bucket and I turn it over and I let it trickle down into the garden ah. because gravity fed. Yeah. There's a cool. good idea. Good idea. How do you deal? How do you deal with the water, water bucket and water trough issue, Patty? <laughs> I, um, I don't. I, someone does it for me. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> how do they deal with it? We have people. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we have actually automatic waters out in every one of our fields. Which oh, so is then when you, when, you, you, when you clean them, you don't waste as much, do you? It's, it's that, that small. Right. But, oh, but yeah. being paranoid with how hot it is, I, um, this is how much I love the woman that owns the barn. She's like, I'll say, hey, I'm really afraid they're not getting enough water because sometimes those they can, sometimes, first off, I mean, think about it, in 120 degree weather, not that they're outside it when it's that hot, but those things get hot. So I was worried yeah. the horses weren't drinking much. And so I made, <laughs> made them put um, their smaller pans, you know, like feed tub things. So they, they scrub those out. And, yeah. and you know, here, it, where the barn is, it's, it's the fields are it's flat and they're individual things. So that they have two options for water. Yeah. I, I, I'm happy with the two water sources method of pasturing. I, whether it's two different automatic ones, one that's automatic, one that's not, I feel more comfortable with two sources of water. Just helps me. Oh, sleep I, I agree. Night. Regardless yeah, of the weather, frozen, hot or cold. We have a pond. You know, so that's oh, well, the just, backup. Aren't you fancy? <laughs> so that's just the well, way it is. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, and, and this is, and this is, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but you know, I was told years ago that horses, why it is so incredibly important, like when they're in their stalls to have two buckets is because horses will reserve their water source. So if they think there's, they're going to drink a bucket of water and then there's nothing else, they will start to only drink half a bucket of water. Yeah, really? yeah I've never heard that. Oh, oh, yeah. Now I'm going to have oh, to go yeah. down that rabbit hole. I'm going to have to look that up and find that research. That'll give me something to do on vacay. I I have to say this this conversation is very timely because just this morning I went for a walk with a couple of dogs and I have one chronic roll in the manure dog and hmm. right in front of me she just gets down and rolls in horse poop. <laughs> and, and, and I had to take and wash her, right? And I was thinking, what a waste of water. I have to do yeah. this at least three or four times a week. There you go. Oh, that's so Let's funny. See. And that dog's looking at you going, why are you wasting the water? I'm just going to go roll in the poop again. I'm just going to do yeah. it. Yeah. But more yeah. importantly, you can't get on the couch with that poop. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. See, that's the issue. That's the truth. There you go. <laughs> well, that's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Well, we're going to yeah. learn about something else. We've learned all about how people take care of water situations at their farms. Now we're going to learn a little bit more about working equitation. So we are at our interview with my friend, Doreen Atkinson. We we met through um, a clinic years ago, and I was going to help her with her master's level uh, dressage test in something called working equitation. And at the time... I didn't real I didn't know anything about it, and I just knew that I had to help her and um, with some of the dressage parts and phases of it, and um, very easy to work with. She was wonderful, and um, our paths didn't cross again till about um, a year ago, a year and a half ago. So, Doreen, I want to welcome you to the show. We um, are excited to hear all about working equitation. Some of our cohorts here don't know what it is, and I'm excited <laughs> to tell everybody about it. So, so Doreen, just welcome to the show um, and just tell 
a little bit about yourself. Okay. Um, I've been riding horses just about all our life, my life, just about like everybody has that I've run into. I've got equitation at an international Andalusian Lusitana Horse Association National Championship where I have my half uh, Lusitano quarter horse entered in a lot of the classes at the show. And I saw the working equitation offered. I looked it up and I go, well, that looks like fun. I don't know if I can do that because I was watching the master level. So I went to this show and they had an introduction to it and they had also a class to enter and I entered it. And of course, uh, it was right up my alley. Everybody have found that has tried this sport. They go, this is what I've been looking for. It kind of combines all of my love of the horse being the dressage, the ease of handling. It's the obstacles, like if you're on the trail, speed events, and then cattle work. So it, it, it just encompassed everything that I've done with my horses over the years. And I said, this is it. This is the sport. So let's explain the, the, the basis of it. So there's, th- there's three phases um, to it. Well, actually, I guess there's technically four phases, right? Technically, there's right. the dressage, dressage phase, which is done in a small court arena. So if you're uh, not a dressage person, there's two different sizes. If you're used to what I am, which is a large court arena, going to a small arena, is you're just like, whoa, those letters come up real quick. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's the ease of handling phase. And then the speed phase, and then there's cattle. So let's go to the ease of handling. Okay. Explain well, ease of handling. Okay. Well, obstacles are set up to simulate the difficulties encountered by a horse and a rider in the field because this sport was created by countries that use the horse to work in the field. And that could be with cattle, as we see the bullfighters on the horseback. So the, these obstacles are given a numerical score of from zero to 10, like we do in dressage, with the collective marks as well. For their transitions, navigations, gates, impulsion, submission, and the rider. And so these obstacles could be from anywhere from 10 to 15 obstacles, but the course is never the same. You will get to the show and you have to run through the course of the obstacles that are set up for us to test your horse as if you were working out in the field. Right. Okay. And so it's a little bit like memorizing a jump course. Correct. Um, the, Correct. Only, the only reason I know this is because um, I, I, so a little bit uh, about background on, on Doreen. Um, Doreen is a master level working equitation um, rider and coach and judge. So she knows a lot about the sport. She's the only master level rider in Texas, um, which is a huge thing. And so some of the things in the obstacle course, for example, is the garrocha pole and the bull. Um, Correct. So can you talk about that a little bit? Just, just, just a little bit about some of the obstacles that make it kind of unique. Okay. There are, we have about 20 obstacles that are, are allowed in our sport and they are the same and they all have a criteria of measurement and how you perform them. The one that Patty was talking about is called the bull line, as I call it, the bull line, where a rider has to approach the a drum that is holding what is the traditional garrocha of the, of the Europeans who work cattle with garrochas. A lot of the countries work cattle with, not all of them, but will work cattle with a garrocha, especially the Portuguese and the Spanish, and some of the Southern American countries work it. Garrocha is basically a pole. So a pole, uh, correct. Uh, correct. 
and you will write up to a, a form which can look like a bull and spear a ring. And then when the ring is on, on your pole, you sh- must deposit the pole back into another barrel. And that is just basically a remove a pole, spear a ring, and replace the pole. It can be one obstacle or it can be separated into three. But usually it's one line, one exact line. We have a jump. We have a gate. We have rounding poles, rainbacks. We have a bridge, water obstacles, side pass rails, and um, a livestock pen, which is very interesting because it's like a pen that you would contain a cow in a circle and you must hold them in that pen basically it's not really a live animal in the pen i have had chickens and goats in the pen and you are to (laughs) you are to walk your horse around the quote the livestock in a deliberate manner but not spook the animals and that's saying if you had to hold a cow away from the mama cow that's what you would be doing is walking the cow without spooking. And uh, and when we get to the cattle phase, that's what we do. Fast is not always best when it's around cattle. So uh, right. our obstacles, like I said, mimic what you might run into in the field. If you're working cattle, you have to cross a bridge. You have to have a jump over a, a, a bush, you know, you around the trees. That's our single slalom. So it mimics a lot of the moves out in the field. And it's such, I think what's gotten me so addicted to it is um, that as a dressage <laughs> trainer, I, like I said, I had the um, wonderful opportunity, Doreen let me compete her master levels horse, and I have never um, done half of the stuff that was in, I mean, I've walked, I've done side pass over a pole, and um, but um, I hadn't jumped in 30 years. That was interesting. Um, but. <laughs> The beautifulness of, um, if that's a word, how just how beautiful and quiet and calm, you know, and how each thing was and each thing had dressage principles about the transitions they mm-hmm. had to halt quietly. Um, the interesting thing that I, one of the fun, most fun things for me was going through the gate and Dorian's horse, Obadiah, of course, knew his job and she kept telling me, don't let him, don't let him take over. He's going to halt and then try to go through it. And you have to go through the gate but then block it so the cattle wouldn't get through. Well, I was just like, I just want to make it through the gate and shut the gate. Well, that's not, that's not the entire thing. And so that was, the whole thing was just so beautiful. And there's a beginning and an end to it. And you have to go up and salute the judge, very similar that you do in kind of dressage. There's so many similarities, but I think the most fun is the connection that you end up having with the horse. And Mm -hmm. For a lot of people that do this, you know, that uh, don't train for a living like I do, just want to have a wonderful time with their horse or get them outside of their normal routine, anybody can do it. And I think, and one of my questions to you was, can any breed of horse do this? Yes, I have seen um, every breed of horse and then some. We do have some mules that have competed. We have gated horses in America. Now, when you go into Europe, into the master level up of the uh, Europeans, they don't recognize the gated horses or the mules. But we do in America. So all breeds are allowed. I have, I guarantee you, I've seen breeds I've never seen before, from the Frisians to the warm bloods to the ponies. And, And it's so fun to be able to see different horses. And that's what's nice about it's welcoming. It welcomes every breed and every type of rider. We even, uh, children, 
and and seniors. <laughs> so well, it's and, very and welcoming. That, that's, that's kind of what leads me to the next uh, question. So at, there's the master's level, which is the highest level, and uh, okay. different from dressage. Once you compete a hot, the highest level, you can't go back down. Right. Um, everything that Doreen does is competed one-handed, handed, including the dressage test. And some of the times they, you are required to pick up the garrocha pole and not only deposit it which on the bull line, but sometimes you have to jump with it or go through the pen with it or do um, an even side pass over the pole. Is that right? Yes. Or is that you could be yeah. right. You, you are usually asked any obstacle that you don't have to use your working hand with. So I wouldn't be asked to open the gate with my garrocha. I wouldn't be asked to uh, ring a bell or... Any, pick up anything else with my working hand if I have the garrocha, but we could ask the rider to perform any of the obstacles with the garrocha. You carry it throughout. You just get used to it. It becomes a part of you. It becomes a part of it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so that's the highest level, but the great thing about this is that you can do the lowest levels. Mm-hmm. Um, again, applying dressage principles, and this is what makes just fascinates me to death, is that you can just at the intro levels, you can walk it. Mm-hmm. The right? uh, intro level is a walk trot, and it is you have to sure. trot in between the obstacles, but most of the obstacles you can walk them, so you don't feel overwhelmed. Correct. Right. And right. And we have the youth, amateur, and open riders. So the same. And it seems very inviting. And and um, you actually were sharing with me today that one of um, the youth from the United States has made it to the national championship, which is important. It's a world championship of the youth. World championship. Um, yes. World. As a matter of fact, it's in the first weekend of July in Portugal. And the judge that is judging that show will be in America in June at one of our America seminars we're having. So right. we have a Spanish judge. Correct. Right. Okay. Well, so that's just sort of a bit of like an overlay of what it is. So my last question for you is, obviously, I, I see this starting to gain speed, um, right. uh, just it, which we're both very excited about. You know, and, and it, it's just, it's. I think that the more people get aware of the sport, it's just so much based on dressage principalities and the mm-hmm. training and just the horse and anybody can do it. Levels for anybody. Where do you want to see this sport go? We have had a goal for years, 10 years I've been in this, and we, our goal was to be affiliated with the World Association of Working Equitation. And that's the uh, big uh, general headship of the whole organization umbrella. And we did get accepted this past year of the world. That that means now we can send an international team, just like the Olympic team, to the world and to the international competitions, which will be held in America and Europe. But we do not want to negate or forget the grassroots of the intro and the level, lower levels, which Huawei, which that's the initials, do not have lower level competitions. They only do a master level and a, a level under it called um, intermediate or d- debutante, but they never show 
at our levels, the intro, the novice, and the intermediate. They only show masters. So our our America has the lower levels that ma- the Huawei does not have. So that is our grassroots. We don't want to negate them and forget about them. They, we want to grow right. that, but we'll have the select few who want to go on and become the master level rider and maybe possibly compete in the championships of the world. They have it every four years. And so we're aiming for 2026 and right. continue to grow this sport and spread the word and spread the fun. And, yep. I, and like Patty said, I'm feeling a lot of momentum and and people getting excited more than I've seen in years. So it's Which catching great. on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for me, I mean, because it, 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 I can do my regular training every right. single day and then turn and do these other wonderful things, which is why Dorian and I are very excited about trying to get together the, that the world team to send. And, you know, one, one sideline that I was thinking about is um, the, the Lusitano um, Association put on a symposium in Wellington this past year, and they brought in Pedro Torres, who is the leading world champion for working equitation, but also can, he competed for the, I guess it was the World Equestrian Games for Portugal. So he's also a Grand Prix dressage rider. So it's just yes. kind of interesting to put all these pieces together and just get excited. And, um, and t- uh, Doreen, uh, tell us what the organization is. If people want to get involved and yes. join or find out more, what is the organization? It, right. It's USAWE.org, United States of America Working Equitation.org, USAWE.org. Right. So it may make one more comment about tacking a tire. Any tacking a tire, as long as they oh, yeah. are the same style, is allowed. So you can ride in your Western saddle. You can ride in your j- jumping saddle. You can ride in your dressage. I have a horse that I put in Portuguese attire. So that's mm-hmm. what's another fun thing about it, is that you don't have to dress just the same as everybody else. It's kind of fun. And it's just very very elegant. Well, Doreen, yes. thank you so much for all this information. Um, I'm excited because you and I have big plans for all of this, but I'm just uh, yes. glad to get the word out there and and thank you for your time. Well, thank y'all for inviting and getting the word out for me and us and keep in touch. If you have any questions, I am the president-elect and you can contact me. I'm on the website. There you go. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Hello. 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 How's yeah, it going? Well, we've been talking about gardens. Oh, how nice for you. <laughs> and we were just interested in your take on flower gardens, vegetable gardens. Um, what's your position on gardens? I like the dirt part. Of course you do. The big piles of nice moist dirt or soil that I can move with my paws. I like to rubble, 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 rubble with my paws. And then I make a beautiful little ball for myself. And then I roll, And then I get so dirty. And then I run around, run around, run around, shaking out my suit, celebrating my beauty. So uh, I'm pro-garden. Okay. Oh, so you are. Yeah, mm -hmm. as long as the human is doing the planting and I get to do the scrabbling. (laughs) So do you like dig a hole for your human to put the plant in? No, that's her job. 
I dig a hole for me to roll in. Are you slow? <laughs> of course, of course. Uh, do you ever get to partake of anything grown in the garden in your carrots? I love carrots; they're delightful. <laughs> oh! And last year I stole a potato, but it was disappointing. Yeah, raw potatoes don't taste so good. No, I, I prefer mine cooked with butter. <laughs> And cheese. And cheese and sour creams. You like sour cream? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, I do. Yes, I do. I love that a lot. Yes. Well, well, thank you so much, Hedwig, for weighing in on how you feel about gardens, because we were talking about gardens a lot in this show. And you take care. It's gardening season, so I hope you enjoy some nice rolls in the garden. I'm advocating for a cow so we can have our own sour cream machine. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks a lot, Hetty. Bye. Take care, Hetty. Hetty. (laughs) Real horses and real dogs are healthier, perform better, and recover more quickly on real food. That's why Biostar empowers horse and canine owners with 100% whole food nutrition, supplements, and feeding programs. Biostar products are made at their own certified non-GMO facility in Gordonsville, Virginia, using real fruit ingredients that are raw, freeze-dried, or dehydrated, never cooked, and are free from artificial flavors, colors, soy, corn, wheat, and molasses. The Biostar product line includes a wide range of whole food, horse and dog supplements, treats, and unique artisan poultices that embrace the ancient and traditional uses of clay and plants. Visit BiostarUS.com today and learn about whole foods and canine and equine nutrition so you can make the best decisions about the care and health of your horses and dogs. That's BiostarUS.com. Whole food nutrition the way nature intended. And now it's time for the breed of the show. So... For the breed of the show, I am going to do the Black Copper Moran chicken. So I'm going to start with a sad story first, and then I'm going to tell you about the chicken, which will make you all very happy to hear about. I um, went into my coop the other day. I check my chickens before I leave in the morning, and I don't let them free range because I'm way too controlling because I can't sit here and watch if something comes into my backyard when I'm gone for the day. And I check them in the morning. I give them some mealworms or any leftover food, whatever I have. And everybody was fine and um, came home. And my poor rooster, beautiful golden lace rooster, was just dead. And I didn't know why. So I was so sad. And I then decided, well, what do you do when that happens? You get more chickens. Of course you do. Of course you do. Called chicken math. I'm beginning to learn it. So... I, um, I asked my friend, um, cause I named my chickens after people. So just keep this in mind, girls. Um, <laughs> um, and I, so I was doing some research and I chose the black copper Moran. So just, oh my gosh, if you, you, anybody who's listening, you have to look it up because they're just beautiful. Um, they're currently one of the most popular breeds because they lay a dark chocolate colored egg. Wow. So. They're very tall. They're elegant, stately-looking bird. They have lightly feathered legs. One said they're clean-legged. I'll I'll let you know when they grow up. Um, <laughs> but basically, the breed was developed in Moran, France, in the late 19th and early 20th century. 
Um, it was originally used for egg production and meat, and it was prized for its rich, rich dark, dark eggs. They're broad. They stand tall. When they're seen from the side, they have a wide triangle. And as their name suggests, they're black and copper. Um, they have remarkable plumage and have a green iridescent glow in the sunlight. Their hackle feathers are a reddish copper tone, and roosters have a copper saddle that cascades over their back. They're just a beautiful chicken. They're a fairly quiet and gentle breed. Um, they're docile. They're not prone to being pushy. They're not really known as being a cuddly bird, um, but don't don't you girls worry. I'll change that. I'm going to handle my chickens every day and love me. That's just a sideline. Um, but they, they're <laughs> active foraging, and they're wonderful free rangers, but also tolerate confinement well. Um, and they do fantastic in cold weather. Interesting fact, the less eggs the blacker the black copperhead lays, the darker the color. So if your hen is a good layer, you will not get the darkest color on the egg. Kind of cool. Um, The pigment overlay of the egg is a finite source known as ink. Once it starts to get low, the color gets lighter. So the egg color can be quite secular because at the beginning of the laying season, they'll be quite dark. Towards the end, they'll get considerably lighter. So however, the the hen that lays the darkest eggs tends to lay the the least amount of eggs. The hens come in weighing right around 6.5 pounds, standard size chicken that you can expect the roosters weigh a little bit more. And they, um, the, the, the one interesting that I found about the rooster is um, they said that the, you know, I personally, and I don't know what you do, Tigger, but um, I personally just want one rooster. And the reason I have my roosters is to warn the hens to get in the house and just, you know, they're a good deterrent and they protect the flock. Some people have more than one rooster. But they say that the roosters don't tend to do well with other roosters. So that was kind of a interesting tidbit, bit, which is good to know because I'm getting a straight run of chicks, which means they're not sexed yet. So I could end up with some roosters and maybe sent bringing one to Virginia for a uh, tigger. Um, <laughs> so anyway, in conclusion, they're quite easy. To handle. <laughs> and they're the only chicken breed that can lay this beautiful colored egg. They do much, do much better in colder climates and they're, um, and they're quite quiet and can do great in an urban setting. So I'm getting mine next week. I'm kind of excited. So I'll let you know how it turns out. Tigger, you've obviously never had them. Wow. No, but I have two roosters. One is the son of the rooster. So okay. senior and junior yeah. and they get, they get along fine. Yeah. And sometimes I think they get along fine, but they're just saying this, this breed in particular, for whatever reason, doesn't, they don't do well with other roosters. And, you know, I don't know. I uh, don't consider. Yeah. So I don't know okay. much about this, but I just, I believe like I go outside, I call the dogs, my chickens come running. Um, I call them, they'll come running. So I think, I mean, I handle them so much <laughs> that I don't, I'm just thinking if I handle these, um, maybe the same will happen. So we'll see. Now we're at Critter Nutrition. And the topic today is what labels don't tell us. When I am doing nutritional consults, I often must look up and read various feed labels and supplement labels on products the customer is using. Other clients will text me, 
Hey, a friend at the barn is using XYZ supplement and recommended I try it. What do you think? I don't mind. Reading labels is sort of a passion for me. There are so many supplements out in the market, and I'm always curious about other companies' formulations and concepts. And nothing reveals the essence of a concept and formulation better than the ingredient listing on a label. There has been a recent trend by some supplement companies to list ingredients as proprietary blend. This allows the company to not state the amount in milligrams, grams, or micrograms of each ingredient. The example. For example, let's say it is a GI tract supplement. The company lists all the ingredients under the heading proprietary blend. Flaxseed, pectin, L-glutamine, aloe vera, slippery elm bark, and DGL licorice. The blend totals 20 grams. The serving size is 20 grams. As consumers, we read this label and see all the good gut ingredients and think, wow, this is a nice formula. But we don't know how much of each of these ingredients are in the supplement. If we have a horse with chronic GI tract issues, it is critical that therapeutic ingredients like pectin, slippery elm, glutamine, aloe vera, and licorice each be at a high enough dose to provide benefits to the horse. Doing the math. In our example of the GI tract supplement, there could be as much as 18 grams of flaxseed in that 20-gram serving. There is no way to know based on proprietary blend labeling. This leaves five ingredients to make up the other two grams of the 20-gram serving. In the case of L-glutamine, it is essential for that amino acid to be administered at the minimum of one gram, which is 1,000 milligrams, per serving. Pectin needs to be in at least three grams, 3,000 milligrams per serving, for it to provide health benefits to the horse. Slippery elm therapeutically ranges from 1,600 milligrams per serving to 3,000 milligrams per serving. DGL licorice ranges from 1,000 milligrams to 2,000 milligrams per serving. Maybe this proprietary GI tract supplement has all the ingredients at therapeutic levels. So why doesn't the company state each ingredient and amount on the label? Because the company doesn't want their formula copied. In the pharmaceutical industry, it is known as generic. In the supplement industry, it is known as replica. Replicas are copies of existing supplement formulas, generally lower in price than the original formula. Unlike pharmaceutical generics, which become available after a drug patent has run out, most supplements don't have patents unless they have a novel ingredient or process. Originators. The company who originates the supplement has put all the R&D into it, done the heavy lifting, so to speak done the research, the testing, examined, experimented, and purchased various raw materials, did laboratory analysis, adjusted the formula, retested, gave product samples to customers for input on efficacy and palatability, adjusted the formula again, did stability studies, retested. Sometimes that newly developed product that has been worked on for months or longer is shelved. The results in the field weren't good enough or availability of an ingredient is unreliable. 
or the laboratory analysis highlighted an issue. All this is costly in terms of time and expense. The company with the replica supplement has none of these investments, has done none of the hard work. Differences between originator supplement and replica supplement. Many times, the difference between an originator supplement and a replica supplement are subtle, but very important. For instance, the originator supplement has a turmeric extract on the label at 5 grams per serving. Replica supplement has turmeric powder on the label at 5 grams per serving. As a consumer, at first glance, we think both forms of turmeric are the same, but they aren't. Turmeric extract has a higher concentration of curcuminoids than turmeric powder. In order to provide as high a percentage of curcuminoids as turmeric extract, turmeric powder would need to be closer to 10 grams per serving, not 5 grams. Turmeric extract is two times, if not more, expensive than turmeric powder. And fermented turmeric, the ultimate form of turmeric for bioavailability, is five times more expensive than turmeric powder. A replica supplement sometimes adds an ingredient not in the originator's supplement. Many times, this new ingredient isn't at dosage levels that provide health benefits. The ingredient is added at a very small dose to add credibility and uniqueness to the formula. There's nothing wrong with replicas. Supplement replicas fill a need of being the lower cost alternatives to the originals. But this does not mean they are the same or will provide the same results as the original formula. Originators and innovators. Originators are often innovators, bringing new ingredients and formulas to the market. A perfect example of this is Cosequin. This company single-handedly changed the equine joint supplement market, ushering in dozens of replicas. Then came other innovators. These companies weren't the originators. They took what Cosequin had developed and in many cases improved on the original joint formula with other ingredients to support joint health. Then Cosequin raised the bar by coming out with Cosequin ASU. And that's how equine supplements progress. Originators and innovators invest time and money and resources into R&D. Their conceptual focus is to create an improved or better supplement no matter what segment of equine health they are focused on. So why proprietary blends? Proprietary blends are seen as a way for supplement companies to protect their formula from being copied and turned into replicas. I totally understand this. Biostar knows what it's like to be copied. The irony is, is that some replicas are now using proprietary blend labels. If the product is a replica, not sure proprietary blend is justified and could be misleading. Is this lack of transparency a benefit to customers? Particularly when it comes to herbs, vitamins, nutraceuticals, and nootropics, it is important for customers to know how many grams or milligrams each ingredient the serving contains. Many customers use a variety of supplements with plants, foods, nutrients, and nutraceutical ingredients. It's essential to know that the horse isn't either getting too much of an ingredient or conversely too little. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. 
Oscar Wilde's famous quote can be applied to many products in various industries that are replicas. Take, for instance, private labeled items in grocery stores. These products are often replicas of name brand soups, cereals, pasta sauces, and peanut butters, and sometimes are manufactured by the originators. These products don't pretend to be innovative, aren't marketed as something special or something better. Innovation drives health. 20 years ago, no one fed medicinal mushrooms to their horses. The word Ayurveda sounded like a town somewhere on the other side of the world. Of course, medicinal mushrooms, traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine are not 21st century innovations, but their application and accessibility to equine and canine and human health has been for Westerners something new and exciting and beneficial. Researchers continue to study and verify the health benefits of many of the foundation plants and mushrooms in Eastern medicine. On turmeric alone, there are 7,000 scientific papers on turmeric and 20,000 have been published on the active ingredient curcumin. More than 600 studies have been conducted on medicinal mushrooms. The Soviets conducted 1,500 studies since the 1960s on the adaptogens Shizandra, Shilajit, Rhodiola, Tulsi, and Siberian ginseng. Helping our horses live longer, healthier lives depends on innovations and research in medicines, therapies, modalities, feeds, and supplements. Countries of origin. While not required by regulatory agencies, listing the countries of origins for ingredients gives consumers the transparency we supplement companies owe them. Biostar has listed countries of origin since our inception in 2007. We have a specific tab on each product page called countries of origin. Consumers can look up every ingredient in that supplement and know where it comes from. Why is Biostar the only equine supplement company to do this? I wish I had an answer. I realize it's time consuming to get on the phone and call a supplement company, but you have the right to know how much of an ingredient is in the formula per serving. You have a right to know where the ingredients originated. You have the right to know how a specific plant extract is produced. Companies spend a lot of time hiring and training customer service representatives. Don't be shy about calling or emailing your questions. Peace of mind is essential for the well-being of human and horse. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to our sponsor, Biostar US. You can find them online at biostarus.com. Get the Horse Radio Network phone app on iOS or Android by searching for Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free and easy to use. For details about today's show, go to HealthyCrittersRadio.com, where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. As always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook under Healthy Critters Radio. Be sure to visit all the great shows on Horse Radio Network at HorseRadioNetwork.com. Love your dog. Hug your horse. Feed your chickens. Clean your litter box. Dance with your goat. Slither with your snakes. Howl at the moon. Hang with your hamster. Party with your parrot. Waddle with your walrus. Outwit your otter. Cuddle your cows. Rap with your raptor. Go chipping with your chipmunks. 
forgive your fox while hedging your hog. We also recommend that you rack with your raccoon, gyrate with your giraffe, meditate with a meerkat, Uber with your orangutan, Facebook with your flamingo, ponder with your panda, walk with your wookie, yawn with your yak, Twitter with your toucan, go raining with your reindeer, dropbox your dragon. (laughs) 